for women of color, where we talk about the issues we face every day, y'all. And I am your host, Karen Davis-Thompson. And I have a great guest. You guys know I always love the guests that I have on In My Shoes. And I saw her on LinkedIn. Her name is Marie Radigan, and we'll get into her story in a bit. But first, I want to give her a chance to just tell you a little bit about herself. And of course, I want her to make sure she includes where she goes to school. So hi, Marie. How are you? Hello, I am doing well. How are you? I am doing great. So just tell our IMS audience a little bit about yourself. Yes. Yeah, so my name is Marie Radigan. I go by Lyrical Marie. I'm currently a graduate student at the illustrious Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University. I am getting my master's in African-American history. I got my bachelor's as well in uh, broadcast journalism. So I'm just a two-time Rattler, and I'm really excited to be here. Um, I do organizing work. I'm an activist. Um, I'm a reader. I'm a writer. I'm a historian in the making, you know, and I'm just here showing love to this amazing podcast and being a Black girl that rock. Well, thank you, ma'am. We do rock, don't we? Yes. So I just wanted to um, get into why I wanted to have this conversation today. I uh, saw your story on LinkedIn and you talked about the fact that, you know, I'll let them tell you where you can tell them where you're clerking and that sort of thing. But when I saw it and you talked about what had happened to you and how you had been arrested and detained and they wouldn't tell your mom where you were. And now you've come full circle and where you're interning right now. And it just really it was very riveting to me. I did have another guest um, a few months back where she talked about her experience and you don't hear that from black women a lot. So why don't you tell us um, exactly what happened to you, how old you were, and just walk us through that story a bit. Yeah, sure. So um, when I was 13, I was arrested and charged with resisting arrest without violence. Um, So basically, there was an incident that happened on the bus on my way home from school. I was in middle school during the time um, my cousin got slapped in the face by this girl and um, he was in the back of the bus and I was on the front of the bus and uh, the bus driver pulled over the bus and um, asked me if I wanted him to call the police. And I was like, I mean, if you want to, you can, but I just have to communicate with my mom and let her know where I am because I am Jamaican. So, you know, with Caribbean parents, if you are not home by a certain time, trust and believe you are going to get in trouble, right? So um, I'm on my way off the bus. I asked the bus driver permission to get off the bus um, so I can talk to my mom because there were there was a lot of commotion that was going on on the bus. Um, the bus driver told me, yes, of course, that I can get off. And on my way off, the, there was a police officer that was getting on and he asked me, where are you going? And I told him that I asked the bus driver permission to get off the bus. So I'm off the bus now and um, we're I'm talking to my mom, letting her know where I am, the location where I am, so that she can uh, come just in case something happens. And the bus driver comes up to me and he was like, what the F are you doing? Get on the F and floor. And my mom is like, who is that? And I said, that's the police officer. And she, she was like, you lying. I said, no, mommy. And I said, you hear how he talking to me? I'm not even doing anything. And she was like, don't say anything. Um, just try to see if you can get his badge number and his name. So um, by that time, he walks away from me again. And um, I'm going to the bus um, 
to reach for a pen because one of my friends, she was giving me a pen. I had asked her for it. Of course, I got off the bus with no no book bag or anything like that. I just got off to talk to my mom. And then the, the police officer comes back up to me and he was like, you didn't hear what I said. And then at that time, everything just transpired so quickly. He threw me on the car. He patted me down. Um, and then he threw me inside of the car and, um, that, that was it. So, um, by that time, my mom came, um, a little bit afterwards and, um, there was this other young lady that was, um, there were like a few police officers that was surrounding her. And one of the police officers actually had their knee in her back and, um, she thought it was me. So she was like, Rochelle, Rochelle, Rochelle. And then she noticed that it wasn't me, but um, I was in the car. So I was um, using my elbow to try to get her attention by using my elbow to bang it on the door. And she, she came up to the car and she was like, what happened? And I was like, I don't know. And then the, the police officer came up to the car and he, um, my mom asked him, uh, where are you taking my daughter? What happened? And he was like, don't worry about it. Just know your daughter is going to F in jail. Um, so after that, um, of course I was, uh, in, in my story that I, that I, uh, put on LinkedIn, I was held in the back of the car for extended amount of hours. Um, and nobody knew where I was. Um, when, after I spoke to my mom, after they released me from the juvenile detention center at like two o'clock in the morning, um, she asked me where I was. And, um, I told her I was in the back of the police car in this area that I can't really remember. I don't know if it was the police station. It, it, it was an area where I'm, I'm sure it had to do something with police because all of the police officers were congregated and they were talking. And she was like, they told me that you were upstairs in the juvenile detention center. And I was like, mommy, that's not true. So after that, of course, I had to go to court. I think that was the most difficult part of the entire situation because I'm like, 13-year-old me is like, what is going on? Like, first of all, I should not even be here. Um, and, and you know, it, this my story is so touching, and, and I want to use my story to inspire other people, um, but also, like, bring awareness to the injustice that continuously happened with Black and brown people. Um, the mistreatment uh, of black and brown people, even the stereotype of young people, you know, at that age, I was 13 and, you know, not too far from Tamir Rice. So um, growing up, that that also stuck with me. So I had to go to court, of course. So my mom had to afford a lawyer, thankfully. And here's another situation too, right? A lot of people um, take plea deals or a lot of people... Uh, don't have the the resources that they need more like money in order to buy not to really buy but you know get someone to represent you so my mom got a lawyer which I was so grateful for and um I I I was um told well requested or asked you should say um by the judge she she asked me if I wanted to take the plea deal and I told her, no, I'm not taking the plea deal because I didn't do anything. So um, my my mom, myself, and the lawyer, um, we took, I think, I think now that I understand the terms, we took a little recess 
And um, the lawyer was like, I, to my mom, I can give you back your money. You could just tell your daughter to take the plea deal. And my mom looked at me and I looked at my mom and I was like, mommy, I didn't do anything. I'm not taking the plea deal. So we went to trial um, and I won. You know, I think that was the most amazing part. And thankfully I had my parents behind me. Um, They were very strong in the support system of that as well. So yeah, that's basically what happened. And now I am interning for this amazing, amazing, amazing uh, judge named Tiffany Baker Carper. She's the youngest female and the youngest African-American to be elected judge in the second judicial circuit. And the irony is she's over the juvenile delinquency division. So for that, for me, that was like a full circle. Like, wow, I can't believe I was here um, like 12 years ago in front of a, a juvenile judge. And now fast forward, I am where I am in my master's program, interning for this uh, this judge, and as well as not making that incident define who I was. First, can I just say God is amazing. I think he has a tendency to, um, he's just amazing to, to bring us full circle like that, you know, and perhaps for you to be able to show, you know, the judge and the court just the difficulties that we have as, as black folk. Right. But mm-hmm. even more than that, I'm, I'm just, uh, first of all, it's, it kind of, as you're telling the story, I'm going this, uh, uh-uh. I'm, I mean, it, it just, it sounds so unreal. So let me, let me back up. So where was this, where were you living? You may have said, and I just didn't. Yeah. So I was actually in Miramar at the time I went okay. to New Renaissance middle school. So um, the, the, the funny thing is I went home recently and every time I pass by the street, I'm literally like pointing, like, this is where this happened to me. Like, you know, uh, the 12 years ago, or every time I pass it, I'm like, this, this happened to me right here, you know? So it was, and I, I didn't mention, but it was very traumatizing at first, of course. Um, but I think that's another story in itself. So let me make sure I, I get it. So your cousin is assaulted or slapped. The, mm-hmm. the, the bus driver asks you if you want to call the police. Mm-hmm. You ask for permission to let, just let your mom know where you are. And mm-hmm. then all hell breaks loose and you end up arrested. So what happened? They didn't listen to the cousin, like the bus driver. Nobody took the time to say, no, she didn't do anything. She's just calling her mom. Her cousin is the one who was hit. Like nobody took the time. What was the reason why? he wanted you to get down and why did he ask you where you were going? I guess maybe he was, was he the police officer they called to the scene? Yeah. So it was one police officer that came to the scene. And then by the end of it, it was like a good between five to 10 police officers. But I honestly do not know. I I don't know why I was even arrested, honestly, but, but God willing, um, I wasn't, you know, I always say that I could have became another hashtag or something worse could have happened to me, um, especially because no one knew where I was. You know, I was back in the po- back uh, in the back of the police car at just 13 years old. And, you know, um, for part of the time the AC wasn't on, we were just there. And it, it was me and another young lady as well. Um, 
but yeah, and and the thing is, is what I what I always get asked is, well, did you retaliate? Did you do something? And I'm like, no, I didn't. I literally just asked to get off of the bus to call my mom to let my mom know where I was because I knew that I was going to get disciplined if it, I didn't call my mom and was like, mommy, something is happening and I'm going to be late coming home. So did they ever tell you, because as we were, you know, I, I looked at it and it was like resisting arrest without violence. And I mm-hmm. guess what was confusing to me was typically that charge comes with something else. So like you were stealing and you resisted arrest, like who gets mm-hmm. arrested for resisting arrest without violence? So, but arrested for what? Like yeah. what did they, did they, there was never another charge there added was, to that? No, there was never another charge. That was actually the charge. And um, I think what was so interesting about this is that stuck with me the entire time. And of course, the police officers, na- the police officer name stuck with me as well, because, um, you know, it was just very traumatizing, but also like, it, it just, you know, it just, it just was not it, you know? And, and while I was inside of the car, he pulled up my mom's picture um, when we were on our way to our destination and he taunted me while I was back there and he was like, huh, doesn't her face look familiar and started laughing, you know, trying to get a response out of me. But, you know, I come from a very strong background where like my, my parents instilled in me, like a lot of, a lot of things, you know, so it, it didn't work, you know, it, it, it didn't work. And, um, he wanted something else out of me and that's not what he was going to get. And I wanted to ask you, what else did they say to you? Did they ever say what this was about? Did we ever find out, oh, well, we thought she was involved with the assault? No, nothing was actually said at all. And I think um, something else that's, that's very interesting um, was that the day of when my when my case was dropped, my mom and I, we were at the... Um, we were at the courthouse and no one showed up. So we called the 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 lawyer and he was like, yeah, your case was dropped. And my mom and I was just looking like, wow, <laughs> okay, <laughs> what's going on? And he was like, yeah, the case is dropping. We'll send you more information um, via email, I think it was during the time, or we probably had to meet up with the lawyer and get some more documents. I can't remember that that logistical part, but I do remember going to the courthouse and the last day I was so tired of being there and yeah, they were like, the case was dropped. So were you all in the middle of the trial and then the prosecution just said, we're dropping this? Were you guys in the middle of it? No, I think it was towards the end because what I do remember is that, um, there was a police officer who had to, um, take the stand, I guess, uh, to, to probably testify, um, in regarding to what happened. But I remember telling my mom, I was like, mommy, that's not the police officer who arrested me. And she was like, are you sure? And I'm like, mommy, I'm positive. I know how he looks. That's not the police officer who arrested me. And then I think the follow, the next time we had court, they were like, the case was dropped. And that was it. So when you went to see your lawyer after mm-hmm. the case was dropped, what, what what was the reason? What did they say was the reason why they dropped the case? You know, I'm not sure because my mom is the one that really had the conversation with the lawyer. I was just, you know, there at the time, you know, just thankful that the case was dropped. 
so my mom was really the one who did more, most of the dialogue with the with the judge. I mean, with the with the lawyer. And did you all ever think of uh, filing a complaint, or did you just want this to be over with? Um, what did you all decide to do, if anything, after the case was dropped? Yeah, I think we were actually ready for it to be over with because I think I believe at that time I was in eighth grade or seventh grade. I had um like my school prom, like I I had to go back to school and people were like, what's going on? You know, just that entire feeling of like people being inquisitive. They want to know like what happened to me, me also having to digest what happened to me myself. Um, so I, I, we really wanted it to be over. I personally really wanted it to be over. And then just the, the transport, because we went from Miramar to Miami, like we were at the Miami courthouse. So just the traffic of that, just, you know, so many inconvenience that had to go in between. So I really just wanted it to be over. But I know one thing uh, was for sure is that I was going to say I'm taking my case to trial because I didn't do anything. I was on the phone with my mom the entire time. And were you ever worried at any time that making that decision could have backfired for lack of a better word and that things could have turned out differently? No, honestly, I, I know that may, that may sound crazy, but I was like, I didn't do anything, you know, and I'm a, I'm a firm believer in standing firm on what you believe on, what you believe in and standing by yourself, even if nobody else could stand with you. But thankfully my mom was there the entire time, but I was like, I didn't do anything. I know I didn't do anything. Um, you know, but I'm, once again, I'm just so grateful to use this story to inspire others because that's what I wanted to do. When I posted it on LinkedIn and and Instagram, um, I was not expecting this. Honestly, I was just like, this is a motivational post. This is for motivational purposes. Don't let anybody box you in. Stand for yourself, even if that means standing alone. And that was it. And then it spiraled. Like, oh, it has like probably over 37 million views right now on, on LinkedIn and so many shares and on other platforms. But the real story behind this is, uh, you know, not to let anybody try to box you in, but also highlighting the continuous injustice of black and brown people from the, the little ages, 13, you know, and, and I keep saying Tamir Rice, but Tamir Rice is one. And just imagine those who go unnamed that we don't even know about. I know that's the scary part. And, you know, mm-hmm. you brought up a really great point in that, you know, thankfully your mother was willing to do what she needed to do to get a lawyer, mm-hmm. you know, and even I think it's even interesting in his case. Well, if you wanted to take the plea deal and that seems to be what a lot of people, you know, black and brown folks feel like they don't have any hope or choice. or they're afraid that, you know, this isn't going to go well and they end up taking a plea deal. And I'm sure there are dozens, if not hundreds who yeah. were just like you, they really didn't do anything wrong, but either they don't have the support system or the money mm-hmm. and they take a plea deal that they don't realize how it's going to impact the rest of their lives mm-hmm. for things that they did not really do. Yeah. Um, and so it's really sad that this is the experience and that you had to go through it so young. Mm-hmm. Um, how did it feel when you posted it on LinkedIn and Instagram? Was that the first time you had talked about it publicly since it had happened? And why did you decide? Was it just that you were so full with awe at this full circle moment? Or mm-hmm. why did you decide that, hey, I want to post this and 
were you nervous about it? Had you ever talked about it mm -hmm. in length before this? Yeah. So actually I've spoken about it, but I haven't really drafted up and put it on social media. Like I'll talk about it briefly when I'm having like one-on-one -on -one, um, conversations with people, um, dialogue with them on, you know, recruiting them into um, the organization that I'm with or like telling them like, Hey, don't let this thing define who you are because I too have this shared experience. Right. And, um, I didn't let it define me. So I should, I don't think that you should let it define you. And I, I, I always um, tell people to, to stay encouraged and be encouraged because, you know, God has a way of working things out. And it was just a full circle on why I posted it because I was sitting back and I'm like, wow, like, I can't believe like this really is happening right now. Like, um, and when I posted it, I was excited. Um, I felt nervous. But I was really more so excited because I'm like, I am getting messages from people in Ghana, in Guyana. I'm getting people from messages from people in the UK, um, from Jamaica. I'm getting messages from people all around. And they too are sharing their same, that same shared experience. Um, and or they're like, congratulations, we are so inspired, we are motivated. Um, one of the posts that really touched me is like, um, someone was like, I was getting ready to give up this, uh, give up on what I wanted to do today and seeing this post and it motivated me. And I'm like, yes, God, I'm going to continue to do your work because that's what I want to do. I want to continue to just inspire people until I expire is what I usually say, or I just want to be the best ancestor that I can be. So when I leave earth, when I transition into another form, I want people to know Marie as, you know, an organizer, an activist, an ancestor, but most importantly, someone who told her story, inspired others to be great as well. Was there ever a time when you, as those messages were coming in and people were saying that they could relate to what had happened to you? Mm -hmm. Was there any sadness there or, or amazement at the number of people who could say, hey, something similar, especially it's really sad because it's like black folks all over the globe. Like, it, yeah. you know, it's like this doesn't just happen in the United States, but, you know, you look at the poor soccer players mm -hmm. in England who were just taunted mm -hmm. and, you know, made fun of because they lost a soccer game. Like this thing is worldwide. So how did it make you feel hearing from people who said that they had a similar experience to yours? Yeah. So it was, it was some sadness that was there. Cause once again, I said, we all have this shared experience, black and brown and Latinx people and even indigenous people, but mostly speaking about us, you know, cause that's, that's who I can relate to my people. Um, it was, it's, it's really sad that we all have to have this shared experience. Um, and not until I posted that, that I really like digested that people all across the globe are having these these this this attack on them or even having to go through a traumatic experience with um someone who is of law enforcement you know so it 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 was very sad but what i can say it was motivating it actually put fuel to my fire on like this is what i'm destined to do i need to continue to walk in my purpose this is my purpose to like bring this to the attention 
of people and tell the truth. You know, the truth is going to get you so far. And, and I think that's what I love about it. People were able to like my post, not because it was something that, you know, is regular on social media, but they they felt it. They felt a connection to it. They were inspired. They were motivated, had that same shared experience. So tell me a little bit about what you do um, in your internship at the um, uh, with the judge. What does that internship look like? Yeah, so I'm actually in court um, uh, doing, I prepared dockets um, for the judge. I look over cases. I do legal research. While I'm in court, I'm taking notes. Um, I go back and ask the judge questions, ask clarity, ask about laws. Um, uh, I'm also like prepping for the LSAT while I'm not in court or while I'm not doing like extra activities in court um, or if I'm not doing research. And I'm also like building, you know, my legal research, uh, my legal writing as well. So it sounds like law school is in our future. Absolutely. And I want to continue my path on a historically black college or university. So my number one pick right now is Howard University, um, Thurgood Marshall, um, Florida A&M University, Grambling, and then I have a few other in mind, but that, that those are my top fours. And do you think that what happened to you has influenced this decision to want to go into law or was that something you were kind of already considering even before this? You know, um, I have been considering it. However, I think this was just a catalyst, another push, another oomph, like this is something that you need to be doing. And also like um, getting my master's in African-American history, I, I knew that I wanted to further my education more. And I'm always talking about policy in class and I'm always um, bringing up policies and bringing up things that are happening. And, you know, my professors are like, Marie, I really think you should go into law school. And, um, you know, I got my, um, when I got my BS in journalism, and now I'm getting my master's in African-American history. My theory to this was the best historian or the best lawyer has to first become a, a journalist. You have to know how to tell the story, how it is, tell it to the facts, tell it to the truth. But also you can't forget your history. Oh, I know. I liked you, girl. <laughs> I was a journalism major as well. <laughs> Damn you, yes, I majored in journalism. It's amazing. <laughs> it's awesome. Okay, I just had to get that in there. I'm sorry. You know, people who know me, it's like, girl, them HBCU grads are crazy. Girl. Listen, we love our HBCU. Yes, there's we nothing, do. There's nothing like the highest of seven hills. Girl, you, you're you're gonna, literally a family. Girl, you're going to make me raise my hands in here. <laughs> people can see me. So, you know, I, I know this is... I. I just, it's so sad to think of what it must have been like as a 13-year-old having this experience. Um, and why do you think that it did not uh, traumatize you? Or, you know, for some people, it, I mean, that's like PTSD stuff. It's like, you know, make mm -hmm. it difficult for you to go out when mm -hmm. you see a police officer. You know, like, why do you think that you were able to kind of come through? And when you do see a police officer, if they're riding behind you, do the 
do you kind of get nervous? Do feelings come back mm-hmm. um, based off of what happened to you when you were a child? Mm, that is a really good question, man. Wow. So honestly, um, after that incident, there was, you know, some fear. There was some trauma. Um, of course, I'm going to acknowledge it. And I think that was the first step is acknowledging that I knew that something was wrong, that I was traumatized, but I was not going to allow that to numb me because I think that's what really happens. People allow it to numb them, but also having the foundation of family, like growing up and knowing about Marcus Garvey, knowing about Fred Hampton, knowing about um, civil rights leader, knowing about, you know, these black leaders, um, and having to read a lot. That's one thing that I had to do. Like, I remember my grandma forcing me to read books. I'm like, oh my God, like, come on, give me a break. But then I I realized that the reason why I was reading these books is because they wanted to instill something in me from a very young age. Um, So that is actually first. Secondly, I think also like growing up out of the 13 year old me, I think after the death of Trayvon Martin, that was actually one of one of the catalysts that pushed me into this role as an organizer, because as an organizer and activist, because um, my brother played for the same park as Trayvon Martin. So I always thought Trayvon Martin could have been my brother. And I continuously hold that on my on, on my shoulders, you know. Um, because I have five brothers and I'm like, God, I, I don't want this to happen to my brother, you know, and I, I, there, me personally, uh, I advocate for people because I don't want it to come knocking on my door personally. And, and I haven't done my work in the community and now I'm, I'm looking crazy. Right. Um, and then when it comes to me, that fear of allowing like when the blue lights blue and red lights get behind me that sometimes is there but then I gotta get grounded and and know that listen like these people are human they're they are just like me and you they just have on a badge and that just that's the only thing that makes them difference different um today is actually Sandra Bland's birthday and I, I definitely want to say shout out to our queens who have died from police violence that doesn't get as much name um Corin Gaines um Brianna Taylor like um Atiana Atiana and and so many other um beautiful queens that that has transitioned and I remember getting stopped before and um I got stopped right down the street from my house and um, I was so nervous. And this was like 2016 or 2017. And the police officer um, said that I'd had, I didn't have my taillights on or my taillights was out. And that in itself just automatically gave me a flashback of Sandra Bland, you know, and I'm like, God, like, please, I don't, you know, I just, I, ooh, you know, and, and now me being in court has definitely been like a full circle, like knowing the laws, reading about the laws, reading about things and being able to send it back to the community. You know, you got to each one, teach one, reach one. 
if I learned something in there, if I learned a law that I think that people should know about, or even the bills that's being passed right now, I make sure to make it my duty to tell tell people, tell a few people, because you know you never know what conversation could be sparked, and that person tells this other person, hey, you know what I learned today. So just making it my duty to tell people, listen, this, this, and this, or this, this, and that, you know. Um, so there was that fear once upon a time, and of course that that fear is still there. But I, I definitely, and it's not more so fear. It's just the. I think it's more so anxiety because, like, coming out of summer of twenty twenty, right? I was on the streets every day. Uh, almost every day protesting. We had George Floyd. We had Breonna Taylor. We had Ahmaud Arbery. We had, oh my God, so many, so many black and brown people that were just dying by the hands of police officers that, that really hit home. And I'm in Tallahassee um, right now, of course, because of FAMU. And in Tallahassee, there was Tony McDade, you know, so there were... there. Last summer was just, you know, one of the most rockiest summers ever. But using that as my fuel to my fire, been able to keep me level-headed, been able to keep me um, grounded. So um, as we close, and I know that the the anxiety has got to be real. I mean, there's just no, you know, how could you not after having that experience so young? But have you ever seen that police officer again? And if you could run into him, what would you want to say? Um, so I haven't seen that police officer again. Um, you know, and if I run into him again, I probably wouldn't even say nothing to him, honestly, you know, because that that part of my life and that chapter of that book has closed and it's no longer about him. It's me bracing, embracing who I am, embracing that story, using that story as a mission, using that story to empower me, to empower others, to inspire others, and to strategize and to advocate for different bills to, to make sure that I'm bringing back my community some knowledge on what we can do to, I don't know if preventing this problem could ever happen, but in order to like you know, just, just try to find a way to bring about some type of change and being the change that I want to see. So if I seen of him again, I probably wouldn't, not even probably, I would not say anything to him. I'd probably just walk past him, you know, it, you know. Yeah, that is true. You know, you don't want to give him that power. Sometimes I think we feel like we need to go back and say, you know, I didn't let you stop me. Mm -hmm. But I think it is a sign of growth and that we really have healed and moved on when you don't feel the need to respond or to walk up to the person and say anything to just, you know, let your life, you know, speak for you. Right. Instead of having to say something. And you definitely have a point about the bills. I think sometimes we get so caught up in what's happening in Washington. Mm -hmm. We don't realize that these bills they're passing in our communities, in Mm -hmm. our states are the things that you may wake up one day and some rights have been taken away. You even know because we're busy worried about just the, the, the national level and your state can sting you. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Like right now, I'm, I'm not sure if our audience have heard of HB one, if you're in Florida house bill one, um, that bill has, uh, was signed in, um, by governor Ron DeSantis and, um, I think late, late or early, early, early April, probably late March, one of those days or, or late April, 
um, that's, uh, that are charged protesters as felons to protest, y'all. Protesting. Protesting is part of America. Protesting is how black and brown people were able to get their voices heard. Then you got um, Senate Bill 90, this voter suppression bill that you see being passed in almost every other state. Um, you, you know, just just paying attention very closely to what's happening in in your in your state is very very important because that's that's where most of the impact happens. Of course, it happens in the White House, but you got to know about your local politics and you know organize your people, especially if you're in a college campus. The youth, the college students, is where all the organizing began. You know, talking about Howard the the Howard and um, SNCC and CORE and um, Stokely Carmichael and talking about like all of these organizers and even and even Martin Luther King himself going to HBCUs and visiting HBCUs and, and organizing with college students. College students is where the power is. So if you are on an HBCU campus, you definitely start an organization, join an organization if it, it calls to you, um, but definitely want to empower your students on campus. That's for sure. And just one real quick question, and then we're going to have to end. I can't believe another conversation where I look up and it's been, oh my God, 40 minutes almost. What do you think after you get your law degree, what is it that you hope to do? Wow, that's a beautiful question. So I definitely want to continue this advocacy work that I'm doing with organizing, but I think I want to transition into, um, you know, running for office someday um being a state representative someday i think that's that's honestly where i want to transition and also you know becoming a civil rights attorney oh yes girl you got my vote i don't even live where you <laughs> but you run uh, yes yes because we do we need more young people to get involved in politics and to yeah. really see what's happening and how it's impacting black and brown people um, marie i just want to thank you for your time this was um, another really, really powerful conversation that I, I hope people will listen to and that young folks can, um, and even older people can be inspired by and know that we can't let one incident, um, no matter how unfair, define us. Mm -hmm. uh, so I appreciate you for being my guest today. Uh, that's all the time we have for today. If you have anything you want to hear us talk about it In My Shoes, you can hit me up at KDT at InMyShoesToday.com. Again, that is KDT at InMyShoesToday.com. And until we get a chance to meet, guys, be blessed. Thank you.